<laughs> I want you to stack sets because I love you. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. Booster booster. Boost me, bitch. Thank you, bitch. All gash, baby. Thank you for the value for value. Yes, thank you for the value for value. Already coming in. Pretty hot. It is Sunday, June 12th, 2022, and you're listening to a special edition of Bowl After Bowl, Bowls with Buds. I'm Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. I'm Dame DeLorean. And joining us in the bowl for the first time is Gigi. Welcome. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. We've been excited about this one. We've had it planned for quite some time we had a scheduling snafu when uh, no agenda kind of shifted their time and so we had to reschedule but uh here we are we made it happen we made it we made it yeah it, it was also partly my fault because you know moving and moving to different countries and just having all like 500 things going on simultaneously uh, makes yeah. it hard to schedule some things sometimes <laughs> definitely well we know how the juggling a lot of different things goes for sure um <laughs> But yeah, I'm glad that uh, we got it figured out and uh, you were able to join us today. And yeah, uh, likewise. Looking forward to this. Yeah, we just wanted to sit down and kind of chat about value for value and Bitcoin in general. Um, for those that might be new to the program or show, uh, Bull After Bull is a show we do every Tuesday night, um, every week, no matter what, at uh, 9 Central, right after DH Unplug wraps up on the No Agenda stream, also at bowl after bowl dot stream and then uh bowls with buds whereas kind of our interview format where just when we can schedule them sporadically we uh sit down in the bowl with our buds and get to know them a little better and we wanted to talk to Gigi. um we first heard you on podcasting 2.0 and you've had a couple appearances on there and um we were just kind of struck by your ability to it seems like get really deep into um, the Bitcoin concepts and topics while still keeping it plain language and accessible. And um, that's kind of a struggle that we've been trying to kind of uh, uh, <laughs> aim for, at least on our show. I don't know uh, about the success of it, uh, but that's kind of the, when we heard you, that's sort of what we wanted to aim for. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Um Satoshi had a famous saying that you know it's it's bloody hard to write a description for this th- for this thing because there is nothing to compare it to, and that's liter- literally true. Like there is nothing like Bitcoin that ever existed before it, and so it's it's really hard to kind of explain it and to also wrap your head around it and to talk about it in a meaningful way to um, you know like just regular people because usually what we use is 
just metaphors to explain things you know like it's it's like that but a little bit different and bitcoin is a little bit like that as well but all metaphors kind of fall short and it's it's kind of its own new unique thing and you know i, I still like the the original description which is just magic internet money sure <laughs> because, uh, it, it, it truly is magic internet money still and uh i mean you know the the value for value model and the streaming sets with podcasting 2.0 shows this very clearly but it's it's so much more as well and it um yeah it's quite quite a rabbit hole <laughs> yeah indeed um so you have authored uh, a number of different bitcoin works and i know you're working on more projects but sort of the main and i if i'm not mistaken the first one was the 21 lessons mm -hmm. uh what you've learned from bitcoin and um this is just another example for anybody who is uh, interested in um, kind of figuring out what I'm talking about when it comes to you explaining stuff in uh, very deep and yet accessible terms. 21lessons.com is the website. And on there, you can read it online. You can also purchase it. Uh, you can also send value for value, um, which, by the way, is, is awesome that you're putting it out that way. I love all this... Uh, the ability to put all kinds of digital creative content out there value for value. And it just seems to really be the future and the way forward where uh, everyone can kind of treat each other as equals and adults and be responsible, you know? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the right monetization model, so to speak, or just the right model in general for information online because, um, and I kind of, I kind of felt that we're uh, very early on, like, um, I've been a huge proponent for open source software, for example. It's like once once you created something, once you wrote something, like a blog post is a good example. Like why should you put it behind a paywall? You wrote the thing anyway. <laughs> you might as well set the content free, so to speak. Sure. And and I think, you know, the the, the paradoxical thing about paywalls is in my opinion, they're just completely broken from start to finish. So the mental the mental burden, the mental cost. Do you want to pay like 10 cents for it? It's, it's, it's just like too high in the first place. But also the paradox is if the content is actually good and worth reading, <laughs> people will crush the paywall anyway and make screenshots and just share the screenshots around and sure. what, what have you, or copy paste it and put it on Pastebin or whatever. <laughs> like there's a million different ways to break a paywall. And so, yeah, I think it's just ridiculous to try to sell something that has zero cost of um, production, like zero cost of reproduction, I would say. You know, sure. Like, there's zero marginal cost to, to you know, like <laughs> duplicate a blog post or like once once it's there, everyone can read it for free. And so I've been a fan of of these kind of um, models for a long time. And so value for value was just a natural fit for me. And it, it was only as as late as um, like mid or I think fall last year. So only. Um, you know, like six or eight months ago or something like that, um, where I switched completely to value for value for all my written content and, and made it very explicit that, you know, all of it is free forever. It, it was kind of implicit before because I, I just used open source and Creative Commons licenses for everything. And just if you if you enjoy it, send value back. And people do, like you would be surprised. I mean, you, you, you probably know you're a yep. pioneer in the podcasting space <laughs> when it comes to value for value. But what I'm trying to show people... Um, is that it works for 
any content form. Um, a friend of mine, for example, he created a movie called Human Bee. It's a it's a German movie, so um, not too many people know it. But it's a movie about Bitcoin and about Bitcoiners. And he he published it free online, and he ran it on a value for value basis. And it was really successful, you know, like um, someone someone just gave one Bitcoin straight up. Wow. <laughs> and so <laughs> and this it is, really works for more uh, than just podcasting. The name of the movie is what again? I'm sorry. Human Bee. Human Bee. Okay. I'll have to yeah, look check it out. There, there, there are some, uh, I think on Vimeo, there are English subtitles. So it, it, it's watchable if you're, uh, if you're an English speaker, but all the protagonists uh, will talk or most of the protagonists will talk German. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I really love this idea of all of the digital content moving to the, to this uh, model because it's worked really great for us. It's been super rewarding. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I want to shout out Harvhat who came in right during the pre-stream. Oh, and there there comes another there you one. Go. Uh, Harvhat <laughs> from CurioCasters Live Tag boosted us uh, 22 to 22. Uh, and he never sends a note. He just gives us the the pre-stream boost. So thanks, Harvat. And um, yes, Gigi will be getting uh, his split of that as well. So he's all noted up and in that value tag. And thirty three thirty three just came in from Chad Farrow out of Fountain saying Gigi in the bowl. So um, there you go. This is what I always uh, talk about when I talk about value for value versus like what you're talking about with paywalls. The it seems to me that with a paywall, you lose out on both sides because you're setting a floor. And even if it's the floor yeah. is low, like you're saying a dime, or if you're saying, you know, what, whatever you're setting is that paywall. Um, you're already just cutting out anybody who doesn't want to actually pay or at least pay at the beginning, um, pay for something they don't know what it is yet. Then on the other end of it, you are setting that price. So you're set, you have to decide like, okay, what's low enough that people will still pay it. And then you cut everything above that off too. It's like you're losing on both ends. You're losing in both directions when really there can be this infinite world from zero to infinity of what you could uh, really receive. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it's kind of weird that, all the people that came kind of came <laughs> came before value for value yeah like every everyone tries to sell digital information as if it was an apple you know but it's it's a very different thing it's 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 not a thing that you again that you have to produce and you have to put in time and work to to multiply the good you know like it's it's if if something can be copied for free it's very hard to sell that thing on on like a per unit basis it's it, it, it's kind of a ridiculous concept and so I, I i love how value for value turns everything on its head and it's i i compared it I, I wrote a long piece on on um the value for value concept called the freedom of value and i i, I mentioned like the the paywall paradox um in there as well and um the problem of mental transaction costs and a lot of bitcoiners i mean not a lot but quite a few bitcoiners um especially early on they were studying this these kind of problems in detail because bitcoin paywalls have existed <laughs> for a very long time it was one of the one of the very first things that people played around with and it never really worked and uh, for example nick sabo he's one of the legends in the bitcoin space he mm -hmm. he, he worked on a lot of the uh, predecessors of, of bitcoin like on on um previous attempts of doing digital money and he wrote papers on 
the problem of the you know um, having any mental transaction cost at all. Basically, if you have to think about it, you're already sure <laughs> it's wrong. Yeah, like it's like do I, do I want to spend zero point zero two cents on this? Like just that thought alone, it's it's uneconomical because if you if you're if you're on minimum wage. Like you thinking, you having to think about this for two seconds, it's it's already you're already uh, on a loss, you know. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's and, just friction and, on the uh, on the whole yeah, exactly. momentum of the so what you're so trying to create. What, that's what value for value is doing right in in the sense that abstracting it away and just setting yourself an allowance, an allowance, for example, or uh, setting how many satoshis you want to stream per minute, and just never have to think about it again. I think that's the right model. And I think, I mean, that's what Netflix and all the subscription services figured out as well. I mean, that's what gyms figure out too. You know, like you have to convince people <laughs> to sign up once and then they just don't have to think about it. Sure. And that's how it actually works. The, the problem with regular subscription services though is that, I mean, everyone knows this now. You have like a Netflix subscription and an Amazon Prime subscription and uh, a Disney Plus subscription and a Hulu subscription and a Spotify subscription mm -hmm. and, you know, 25 different other ones. And so it kind of, it, it doesn't really scale. And um, again, back to magic internet money, the fact that Bitcoin is programmable money. And as you mentioned, you know, you can set up the splits in a way that it's completely done automatically. And you can, you know, for every single episode that you do, you can set up the splits differently and you can, you know, give 5% to open source development, for example, or a lot of Bitcoin podcasts will do this, that they will direct a part of the value stream to uh, Bitcoin open source development or to the Human Rights Foundation or those kind of things. And that's just super beautiful because in, in the end, it's like, it's very similar to having a Netflix subscription, but it's giving back to the people directly and you're not feeding a behemoth of, you know, like you're not feeding a, a, a faceless organization. You're you're feeding the, the people directly and you're giving back to the content that you consume directly. And so in the, in, in, in the article I wrote, uh, which is called The, the Freedom of Value, um, I wrote about all the things that you mentioned too of how um, you know how it sets value free in the sense that there is no cap of what you can receive with value for value. Like I mentioned with the German movie, you know, someone just gave a whole Bitcoin. That's exactly you know that, yep. that, that's quite a bit of money, <laughs> no matter how you uh, twist and turn it. And um, you don't know how valuable the content was that you produced to other people, it might have been insanely valuable. And you know, if someone is a millionaire or just very well off, like one Bitcoin might not be that much money to them, but it might be to you. And um, all of that makes it really not only interesting, but I think it's, it's, it's something that truly, truly scales. And the example that I gave in the article is, you can think of it just like a, a street performer, you know, just like busking where- Sure. Everyone knows that you're not obliged to throw coins into the hat, but everyone also knows that if no one throws coins into the hat, the music will stop. And so it's a very honest and very direct monetization model. And of course, you're not sitting on the street and performing, but you're online, so it really scales. And as you said in the beginning, you know, like the, the split will go on forever. So if we manage <laughs> to keep the Lightning Network going yeah. as, as humanity, which I'm very confident that we will, and if we individually manage to keep our notes up and so on, then, you know, the, the streaming money can just come in. And that's very, very powerful. So it's it scales both in time and in space, because there is no, like on a town square, for example, you can only fit so many people, but online, like 
you know, potentially this episode could be listened to by, you know, like hundreds of millions of people, billions of people, if, sure. <laughs> if it goes viral for some reason. Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> it, it, it can also exist for, you know, like hundreds and thousands of years. Like there is, there is no, no limit to that. And uh, yeah, that's what, what, why I was uh, saying jokingly, uh, jokingly before, you know, like, um, thanks, for the, thanks for the value split. It's, it's going to bring one of my kids through college, you know, like. That's, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, you never know. That's the beauty of the of this whole system. Is like, uh, um, I, I, what I wanted to talk about. It's kind of funny that you bring all of this up because it kind of comes back to um, the ideas of freedom and permissionlessness. And um, I've been going to Bitcoin meetups this year. I started this year um, after oh, nice. a suggestion from uh, one of our bowlers, C Dubs, who uh, he was just like, "Yeah, hey, I went to a Bitcoin meetup in my area," and I was like. Oh man, a Bitcoin meetup. That sounds like something they might have near me. <laughs> I looked into it, you know, and and there was there's a fantastic group that was already meeting up. So I've been going to those ever since and it's wild that you show up to Bitcoin meetups and there seems to be these ideas or themes that everyone in the space keeps coming back to. And it's things like freedom and privacy and the things you'd expect things like technology, but it's also things like eating clean food, things like uh, cutting seed oils from your diet, things like buying <laughs> local beef uh, and starting yeah. local beef initiatives and buying direct from ranchers and like uh, subverting all these centralization systems that exploit us. And it's so crazy how these seemingly niche or different ideas all coalesce and all these Bitcoiners are like, on all of the stuff that's like touched my heart over the years that I just thought was like wacky, different stuff that had no connection whatsoever. And I was just curious if you've like noticed or thought about that trend. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's my life, man. I've, I've been, <laughs> I've been full time in Bitcoin for quite some years. Yeah. And, and that's just basically, it completely changed my life and, um, uh, my diet and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, a, a friend, it's funny that you bring it up because a friend of mine, uh, just today, because we were eating beef actually. And he mentioned, you know how it's funny? Like if you, if you look back through history, it's very obvious that, um, beef is the Bitcoin of food. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just the one constant that everyone, like everyone on earth, agrees that it's healthy and, and and good for you and you know like sound food. Yeah. And and that's that's what a lot of people don't realize um, that there is actually a deep connection there because Bitcoin is a return to sound money and the the, the monetary properties, the properties of the money you use actually matter and actually change the way you behave. I think every Bitcoiner knows this that suddenly you will think twice about spending your money on foolish things for example so the way we talk about this is that bitcoin will lower your time preference and it will show opportunity cost because you could you know you could buy and hold bitcoin and you don't need like the new phone or the new gadget or you know like the fast car or what have you you'll be way more conservative with your spending and also what's interesting with bitcoin i think is that it um it it forces you to become more responsible, not only when it comes to spending, but also if you use Bitcoin properly, you will have to take care of some things. You will have to hold your own keys, for example. You, you will have to run your own node. So Bitcoin puts the individual in the center again, and it removes trusted th third parties. So it removes the bank from the equation and so on. That doesn't mean that Bitcoin banks, banks absolutely do not exist because they do. But if you want to use it properly, you will have to use, like you will have to hold your own keys and you will have to run your own node and so on and so you immediately have to take responsibility for 
your money and for your Bitcoin and so on. And suddenly, you know, this this seeps out into other areas and then you you take responsibility for your health and for yourself and for your future self. And, um, uh, you know, one kind of infamous Bitcoiners American model, he always said, you know, Bitcoin is self-love, stacking sets is self-love because you, 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 you kind of take care of your future self. And, and once you, once you realize this, how, how true this is, then you will also take care of your future self in other areas. You know, you will think about the long term. You will, you might want to think about starting a family. You might, you might want to think about, you know, eating healthy and starting to work out and taking care of your health on multiple dimensions. And all of that is happening all over the world to Bitcoiners as we speak and has been happening for a couple of years now. And most people, especially like, you know, you will never see anything like that featured in the mainstream media or just in, in whatever. Sure. You, know, you still, all, everything you hear, hear uh, you, you hear about Bitcoin and Bitcoiners, it's like, it's all a scam and it's a Ponzi scheme and it's just, you know, um, uh, drug market money or what have you. Yeah. And it, it's so funny to me because it's completely the opposite. You know, it, it teaches responsibility, it teaches uh, long-term thinking. It, 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 it shows you also, you know, like what you can handle and what you, what you can't. And, and you, you kind of grow with the adoption of Bitcoin and so on. And it, it transforms the individual on a profound basis. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely true. And it's, it's pretty wild that something as seemingly benign as the money can change people and can change individuals in such profound ways. So I wanted to talk a little bit more. I had time preference written down and I'm glad you brought it up because I, I've always heard references to time preference or people like, um, you know, saying their time preferences changed, but I wanted to kind of explore more about like the meaning behind it. And essentially it's just like, um, patience to explain it basically, right? Like patience and long-term thinking rather than, uh, sort of what can I get right now? What's the price right now? How can I make money right now? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think most people are familiar with like the, the marshmallow test when you, uh, have two kids and you, um, uh, or if you, if you have a kid and you tell them just, you know, you can have a marshmallow now, or if you wait for 10 minutes and don't eat the marshmallow, you can have two marshmallows. And, um, so, so that's the basic idea behind it that, um, you know, like <laughs> there are all these say sayings around this. So I think we, we've just known all, the, all of these things for thousands of years and are rediscovering them now kind of. Um, you know, good things will come to those who wait. And uh, like, as you say, you, you have to be patient to, for, you know, some of the good things to come and so on. And the, the, the general idea and why it's so related to the money is you can see this very clearly if you have high inflation environments or in environments and economies where the money fails. If you cannot trust the money, if you, if you know that your money melts away like an ice cube, you will spend it immediately on whatever, you know, because the money will be worth less in like two weeks from now anyway. So keeping it is absolutely nonsensical. It's 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 so stupid to keep them on the under, under the mat mattress or or in the bank or whatever. And so in high inflation environments, people will spend their money on whatever. Maybe maybe they are smart and they will spend it on something that holds value in a better way. You know, like real estate or uh, precious metals or you know Rolex watches or uh, bottles of whiskey or what have you. You know, and in depending on on the country, you know. People will start to buy, you know, bags of rice and bags of salt and uh, just things that don't spoil easily and that, that have some value. And you can, again, you can see all of this behavior very, very clearly if the money really fails, if you have very, very high inflation or even hyperinflation. But the thing is that ever, th ever since we we broke the peg to gold, ever, th ever since we 
went to a pure fiat money in the world. So this was around like 1971 when mm -hmm. uh, Nixon closed the gold window. If if someone is like, if this is all news to you, just check out the site. What the fuck happened in 1971.com? It's a Ooh. very nice site showing up, <laughs> showing all the all the. It's it's a very visual site. So it's just WTF happened in 1971.com. And it will show you that in 1971 something happened, but it will it won't tell you what exactly happened. And and <laughs> it's it's really nice to scroll through this and just look at the graphs and, and look. Uh, you wow. can very clearly see that things went south. And so what I'm trying to say is that in these inflationary environments, you can see that people will spend their money just because they have to spend it. Sure, it, it's the smart thing to do, but. Ever since 71, we've been in an environment where the money inflates all the time. Your money loses purchasing power like 2%, 4%, 7%, 7% a year. And people know this. That's why no one has a lot of money. Like <laughs> it's the, the way to win in the world is not to you know put money under your mattress. Right. That's, that's the way to lose. And so what fiat money incentivizes is just getting into debt and spending money. Mm. And that's why... Um, Pierre Rochard, another Bitcoiner, he has this saying uh, of the that he calls the the whole economy that comes out of it the high velocity trash economy, and high velocity just means, you know, the only thing that's important is that the money moves. You have to spend it on something. It doesn't matter what it is. So you will buy you know plastic trash from China and you know like <laughs> always just thinking short term, sure. always thinking quarterly profits, always you know living week to week, month to month, never planning for the future really that much. And that's what this whole system of fiat money incentivizes. And it's it's interesting that once you remove yourself from this fiat system and you switch your life more and more to a Bitcoin standard and do more business in the Bitcoin economy and save most of your stored time and value in Bitcoin, then this will completely change. <laughs> like you will suddenly, <laughs> you will suddenly <laughs> like not care about all the trash anymore that most people buy. You will not care about, you know, like uh, going out five times uh, a week or, or something and just to, you know, like run away from the nihilism and, and get drunk or whatever. And <laughs> I, I can see this very clearly, in not only myself, but in, in many, many um, of my friends that fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And it's it's really interesting that it, it starts slowly at first, but the... The, the changes compound over the, over time and people really transform in, in, in a very radical way. So to back things up a bit, I want to kind of like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of origin stories and kind of like how things started because I think that uh, looking back and kind of reconstructing that can make, uh, you know, make sense for what's going on now and kind of explain what's happening now. So I was interested in, kind of your origin story and how you came to use Bitcoin the first time. And just about everybody I've talked to, like there's this time where they started using it, including myself. There's this time where we started using it. And then like way later, there's this time where like some light bulb came on and we understood it, but it never is like the other way around where we understood it and then started using it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I think that that's why I, my, my go-to recommendation for people that want to look into Bitcoin is, you know, just just buy some, just get some, just start stacking sets, get on an auto DCA plan or something, and you know, learn along the way. <laughs> yeah, we've been saying uh, it's it's been like tough to talk to no coiners or pre coiners. Some people say uh, mm -hmm. about 
like kind of like reassuring their worries before they get on. We've just been saying, get in the car and drive is kind of our meme. And just kind of comparing it to like, you know, you don't understand how an engine works. You don't know how to rebuild an engine or uh, you probably don't know how Mm -hmm. to like what a carburetor is or any of that kind of stuff yeah. in a car, but you're driving to the grocery store just fine, you know? Yeah. And there's like this, yeah. there's not really a lot that yeah. you need to know in order to just understand and use it correctly. And then you, but what if the car explodes? Oh you know? yeah. It yeah. Can always have, <laughs> what if the car goes to zero? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to be fair, you know, like a, cars do explode sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's really tough. But you know, like as I said before, uh, the problem with Bitcoin is there's nothing to compare it to. There really isn't. Um, I mean, some people say it's gold 2.0, but that's just you know that that's not the whole picture. And it's all it's also you know it's streaming sets, it's magic internet money, it's you know value for value. Uh, like micropayments wouldn't have been possible without Bitcoin. And and all of that yeah. is true. It's programmable money. It's it's so many things. But it's uh, you, the problem with Bitcoin. I think is. Um, I just learned this kind of like the, the proper words to use for, for, for this phenomenon very recently. I think it was only like a year or, or a year and a half ago. And do, um, you probably know Jordan Peterson, right? Yeah. And, yes. and he has uh, um, another professor that was also on the university where uh, Peterson was is John Verveke. Do you know him by any chance? Um, he, his name is pro- what? John Verveke. He's, he's not as famous. Oh, I don't yet. think so. <laughs> And he, he had a very nice series on, um, uh, oh man, on a multitude of things. But uh, uh, um, I think the best one that he did is um, uh, on the meaning crisis, that basically the whole world is stuck in a meaning crisis and how to get out of it. Hmm. And um, he had a very nice phrase. It's about the various different kinds of knowing, you know, like you can understand something by just reasoning your way through it, but you don't know how it feels to dance in a ballroom, you know, like you can't reason your way through that and then you know how, how it feels like and so on. And I, I feel like, and, and he calls this participatory knowing, you know, like there are different kinds of knowing and, and one of them is participatory knowing. And I think it's, it's such a fitting term. And I think the only way to understand and know Bitcoin is by participation. You really have to use it. And yeah. this is also true on a technical level. Like if you study Bitcoin deeply, you will realize that because there are no trusted third parties, no one can tell you what Bitcoin is. You absolutely have to decide for yourself. And you decide for yourself either explicitly or implicitly by running your own node. So what Bitcoin is, is not defined. It really is not defined. It, it, it was defined by Satoshi in the very beginning, but the way that the system works, it's, it's set up kind of like a game that has certain rules. But the rules can be changed like a tiny little bit. They can be changed in a way that is um, compatible with the, ba- with the past. So it's backward compatible. That's, that's kind of the only meta rule. But we had some, you know, changes in Bitcoin and people are still, you know, running the old version, so to speak. And that's perfectly fine. That's the way that Bitcoin works and that it will always work. But the, the implication is that you're free to run any version of Bitcoin that, that you will, as, like that you want, as, as long as you are in consensus. So on a very, very technical level, Bitcoin has to be participatory and you have to decide what Bitcoin is for you. And then you can start using Bitcoin and then you can, you know, like verify that you really got Bitcoin and you got the Bitcoin as you understand them and so on. If you're not doing this, you can always get scammed. Like if you're using Bitcoin like on, 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 a, on a Bitcoin 
bank, you know, let's pick an evil one. Let's pick Coinbase, for example. Sure. Like Coinbase can take away all the, all your Bitcoin. Coinbase can freeze your account. Coinbase can cancel your transactions. Like all the all the properties that make Bitcoin great go away by using a trusted third party. So the only way to use Bitcoin really is without any trust, trusted third party. And if you do this, you have to decide for yourself what Bitcoin is and you have to use it yourself. And that's why I think, you know, like this, this participatory knowing of Bitcoin, it really is part of it all. You have to use it. You have to get into the car and drive. And then you know what it is to drive a car, you know, and the same is true for Bitcoin. You, you have to get your own wallet. You have to, you know, like write down the seed phrase. You have to, destroy the wallet or lose the phone and then recover it again and you have to be on the receiving end of streaming sets for the first time and you have to make your own bitcoin transaction to you know yep. halfway around the world and you have to cross a border with like 12 words in your head and all the rest of it like then you understand the power of bitcoin i think there is no 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 other way to to really understand what's going on see for me it was uh in, it the first time i ever got in was in 2014 and it was just like novelty uh, curiosity and uh, funny internet money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used it as as funny magical internet money and all for degenerate online gambling. And yeah, um, like most people, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I played a lot of poker. There was uh, uh specifically for the Dogecoin. There was this uh, uh application called Dogecade where you could play like. Uh, battleships or rock, paper, scissors or different thing for Dogecoin. And so I got a lot of it out of faucets and then just would play on that. But <laughs> it wasn't until the whole podcasting 2.0 thing that I kind of revisited. I dug up all my old wallets, which had just been kind of sitting around, and I revisited Bitcoin and it like kind of rethought what it could be or what it could mean. Thankfully, you know, I think like when I... Um, stepped away from like using or thinking about Bitcoin. I never really, it was never top of mind for me. Sometimes I'd just spend it down when it went up, you know, and buy weird things mm -hmm. with it. But um, it wasn't until this podcasting 2.0 revolution that I reevaluated like and started learning and started uh, using it responsibly, I guess you would say, uh, yeah, or just think thinking about the future and what the future could mm -hmm. be. Yeah, I think everyone needs multiple touch points with bitcoin i think there is not a, there there isn't another way there are very 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 few people that that get it like from first contact they're usually you know they've they've usually been studying the austrian school of economics for like 10 years or um have been studying monetary history astutely or something like that because you you kind of to to we're still early enough that um you kind of have to you need to have a um deeper understanding of the whole thing to kind of put your whole net worth in it and trust it completely, so to speak. You know, I, I think most people, for example, trust the internet that it just works and it won't go away tomorrow, you know, because the internet has been around for a long time and people just kind of know that the internet is resilient and, and kind of know that, you know, there's not one person that can just shut down the internet and so on. And I mean, like the car example is great too. I think uh, if you look into the history of cars, like it was terrible in the beginning, like people had no idea yeah. how to use them. And they, like, they, you know, you, you were only allowed to, to drive as fast as, you know, a, a horse could go. Yeah. In fact, they were horseless carriages is how yeah, they yeah, first were marketed. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of like Bitcoin back then, there wasn't a perfect metaphor for them. 
Yeah, and, and people absolutely did not trust cars in the beginning. Like, not at all. And like, not at all. <laughs> it's yeah. really bad. And there was a lot of propaganda against cars. And the same goes for electricity, for example. Like, sure. most people did not trust electricity. And I think also, you know, to be fair, they shouldn't. It's it's a very new thing. It's it's very dangerous. It's very very wild. It, it kind of needs to be tamed. And I think Bitcoin is very similar. You, you kind of, it's very hard to get it at first contact and, and, and trust it immediately. But the thing is that, um, again, it's I, one of the sayings that I like the most because I think it's so profoundly true is that Bitcoin is different things to different people. And I, I really like your, your story that, you know, like first contact was with gambling basically and just, you know, so funny internet points that you can use to play an arcade or what have you. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's streaming money and podcasting 2.0 and revolutionizing um, the way the media landscape is set up and, and how the media landscape will monetize itself and so on. And it, it's, you know, like, like those, are, those are very, both of these industries are insanely big. But currently, for example, the, I, I would say the prevailing narrative of Bitcoin is, is still that it's going to eat up the store of values of the world. So it's going to be gold 2.0 and it's going to be bigger than gold and it's going to eat up all the value that is stored in real estate. I mean, most people buy houses and buy land not to use the land or live in the houses. They just buy it because you know, the money doesn't work and the money melts away like ice cubes. So everyone tries to use something as a store of value that you, you can't make more of easily, you know? And I don't remember who, who said it. I think it was an, an actor or something or some, some famous person, you know, buy land, they, they're not making more of it. And mm. people know this instinctively. So they, they, they will buy something that is harder than the money that they use. And by harder, I just mean, you know, harder to produce. And um, yeah, we are currently, the whole world is caught in, in this easy money trap that you can just make money out of thin air, like central banks can basically create money out of thin air. Right. We saw this very clearly with COVID, you know, like yep. as a response to the COVID crisis, um, all the central banks of the world just printed trillions and trillions of dollars out of thin air. And of course, um, you know, we have to pay for this very, very dearly because the idea is that uh, we, we are going to be so productive in the future that we will be able to pay this back with interest. <laughs> and of course, that's an illusion. Right. <laughs> like you can't, you can't, well, like a thousand X your productivity <laughs> just because it's, you know, someday in the future. And I think, I mean, we, we are living through the beginnings of the um, repercussions of, of these kind of monetary policy moves right now. I mean, inflation is yeah, I mean, the, even the official numbers for inflation are high, but I mean, the, the official numbers are obviously bullshit. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting that most people that discover Bitcoin, they come from different angles. And I think most people that I know, they need to, they need to hear it. Like they need to hear that Bitcoin is a thing from like two or three different people. <laughs> and it's yeah. usually always like one insane gambler or drug person yeah and then it's like a banker and then it's like a coder and then it's like okay maybe there's something to be fine <laughs> oh that's beautiful actually yeah i think that's totally true it's like uh if all these guys wait all these different guys are saying the same thing what am i missing out on um i wanted to talk a little bit about orange pilling and maybe like its importance or maybe it's overemphasis. um because we've we've sort of gone through a little bit of era of that on the show where we got in like December of 2020 to be value enabled. And back then all you could do was uh, put your feed in a Sphinx tribe. Like that was the only way to get yeah, in yeah. Uh, at the very beginning. And we 
we were like one of the first hundred shows that tried it out. And then once we got in, um, you know, these things move slowly. And so part of what we were doing was like trying to convince other shows in our circle to hop on the train or whatever, you know, and we were getting the, the typical FUD responses of, you know, the pre-coiners give of, Oh, if the government <laughs> takes it over or, uh, yeah, what if it goes to zero or it's all scam or um, all this different stuff. I don't trust it. I don't know how it works. It's pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we, I, it was only a couple of weeks of doing, like it wasn't very long at all of doing that to where we had both decided we don't really want to be the uh, street corner preacher. Yeah. No point trying to <laughs> evangelize it. It's like, um, we were basically like, uh, what Satoshi said of like, you know, if you don't get it, I don't have time to convince you. Like yeah, <laughs> that became like, I, I totally saw that quote with new eyes. I was like, wait, I'm not trying to change your mind or force you to do something that you don't want to do. You know, like I instead just want to be an example and do it. Like, I'm going to tell you, you should be noted up and value enabled for your show because I think, look, because I love you. And I think that, you know, that's the, that's the best thing for your future. That's why I'm doing it. Cause it's the best thing for my future. But mm. you know, I'm not going to like think you're an idiot if you don't or call you stupid or all this stuff. Like I'm not like, I'm not going to try to make ill will about it or like, you know, put pressure on anybody. Like that's not what I want to do. And it almost came down to like, just shrugging it off and being like, no, no, we're not orange pilling people. We're just like moving forward. And that seemed to kind of help, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, yeah. uh, how, how important do you think it is to really like orange pill your family and friends? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> what, what a setup. I, I wrote, I, I wrote a letter that is called dear family, dear friends. And I wrote it in, uh, end of 2019 i published it in early 2020 and i was basically you know struggling strugg struggling with this question um i uh, i never you know was very big on, on on preaching i was just trying to understand this whole thing as deeply as i could but i i of course you know like you said i i just want to i i, I want you to stack sets because i love you and i want i want you to save yourself i want you to take care of your future self and i want I, I i want it because i think it's it's best for you and um i wrote this letter because i got increasingly frustrated with uh people just not wanting to listen not wanting to learn not wanting to be interested and um just yeah it is very frustrating i think most bitcoiners know this and uh, we also have a saying which is um shill lightly you know so sure you, okay you definitely you don't want to overdo it like you don't want to go to the thanksgiving family dinner and just you know talk about bitcoin for like 15 hours straight <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> never get invited again yeah tear your whole family apart like that's not a good strategy <laughs> and so you, you definitely should shill lightly but I, I think there's something to be said about letting people know that the door is open and it's like you know like as you know i'm i'm very into bitcoin and if you're ever interested just reach out to me before you do anything else reach out to me like it's very easy to kind of burn your hand at the stove and do something stupid so sure. before you do anything if you're ready and want to learn more just you know let me know i'll, I'll, I'll be here for you and so the reason why i 
wrote the letter, dear dear family, dear friends. Um, it was very well received. Like I I, I think I, I I hit the chord there. It's it, it's been translated in like twenty languages or something. Like it's ridiculous. And <laughs> I basically tried to sum up um, the advice that I just give to all of of my uh, family and. Like I, I always ended up giving the same advice, which is just start slowly, get a little bit of exposure, you know, and just, for example, stop smoking and the 20 bucks every week, just put it into Bitcoin. Mm. And the best way to do it is to do it automatically, you know, sign up for an audit DCA service. Uh, of course, you know, like caveat emptor, you, um, most DCA services have uh, KYC implications. Yep. Um, so depending on, um, you know, like depending on your kind of appetite for that, um, there are ways to get no KYC Bitcoin. Um, there's actually a nice site that sums it up, nokyconly.com. And there are some ATMs that have certain limits um, where you can buy Bitcoin KYC free. There's BISC, there's HODL, HODL, there are peer-to-peer trading services. Um, and there are more popping up. You can also earn Bitcoin, which is one of the best ways, I, I guess, and value for value comes into play there too. Sure. But the, 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 the general idea is, that's why stacking sets is such a powerful meme. So the general idea is you want to stack sets for, for, for the long term. And most people don't know, um, you know, like, I think, I think it's one of the best memes because people will kind of have to figure out what a set is and then they will figure out that, you know, um, you know, there are actually fractions of a Bitcoin. Most people still don't know that you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. That's so wild. <laughs> so that's, <to> be. <laughs> that, that's, that's very important to know that Bitcoin is divisible. Yeah. And 100 million sets makes one Bitcoin. So stacking sets is just, you know, get a fraction of a Bitcoin regularly and hold it for the long term. And the, 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 I think the hardest thing for no coiners and pre-coiners to understand this, that Bitcoiners are not in it for the US dollar gains or the Euro gains or the Yen gains or the Turkish Lira gains or the Venezuelan Bolivar gains. Bitcoiners do not care about fiat money, period. It's like fiat money is that to me. It has been that for, to me for many, many years. I still need to use it. I'm forced to use it. Just like if you go to an arcade, you need to use the arcade fund coupons mm -hmm. to you know play in the arcade. But I, I go into the arcade with real money and I exchange it for the fund coupons and then I play around and then I go out. And I, I don't hold the fucking arcade coupons for a long time. Right. I, I don't care about them. And that's just all fiat money is for me. I don't care about the US dollar or the euro or whatever. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, current, uh, I recently moved countries and I don't even care about the exchange rate. I just know, okay, if I go to the supermarket, I have to have, you know, whatever fiat money they take. And I just press the button on, on the ATM that will, you know, give me some of those. Uh -huh. And when I, and when I run, run out, I'll, I'll get some more. And my base money is Bitcoin and always we will be Bitcoin. And so the, the, the kind of, the fiat exchange rate doesn't matter. It's very much like if you, if you look in, if you look at countries that went through hyperinflation or, or where the money breaks, like Turkey is a great example with the Turkish lira or Venezuela is like the obvious example. They, they had hyperinflation very recently. It's just the, the currency comes, becomes completely worthless. No one who changes from the Venezuelan Bolivar into US dollars ever wants to go back into the Bolivar again. Right. You know, it's not like, wow, now I have, I have 100 US dollars and I'm like a billionaire in, in Venezuela. <laughs> right. It's like, you don't, you don't cash out. You don't care. It's like, what the fuck? You, don't, you, you have like a, a billion <laughs> Bolivar and you can't even buy a loaf of bread, you know? Right. Like that's, and, and uh, the same is true for Bitcoin. It's like, no, none of the Bitcoiners that I know want to cash out. It, it's, it's it's not about cashing out. It's it's about building up a world where you don't have to cash out in the first place. And that's where, of course, a circular economy comes in and where uh, spending Bitcoin will become increasingly important and so on. And it's it's 
the whole idea is to move away from the fiat monetary system and to realize that fiat money is just made up. It's not backed by anything. It's just backed by balance. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, which is, you know, like a bunch of aircraft carriers and nuclear weapons. Yeah. And it, there is no real value behind it. There is no underlying reality to it. And yeah, Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin has very real value. Bitcoin has a very real relationship to the physical world. And fiat money just doesn't, you know, like and you can see this very clearly just looking at banknotes. Like what's the difference of the banknote if it has like a, a one on it or a 10 on it or a 20 on it or a 50 on it or a 100 on it. It's all the same thing. It's just different numbers and that dictates the value. And in the end, you know, like you're forced to use it because you, you're forced to pay your taxes and, and, and other things with it. But it's... I think we're in in the beginning of the end times of fiat money. I think the the, the system is kind of you know beginning to fail, and I mean I, I I'm I'm very aware that gold bucks have been saying this for many decades and the system sure. <laughs> is marching on. But the beauty about Bitcoin is, like you said before, you know it's permissionless, and so you don't have to ask for permission to switch to Bitcoin standard. And a friend of mine always says, you know, like hyper Bitcoinization is like a very personal decision. So if you want, you can move to a Bitcoin standard today and just earn Bitcoin, just spend Bitcoin, only <laughs> do business with other Bitcoiners. And it actually works. Like I know some people that do it. And uh, so so basically the only the only barrier is kind of yourself and your risk appetite and your understanding of, um, you know, the, the monetary system and of Bitcoin. And uh, I think, again, to, to come back to orange pilling and uh, dear family, dear friends letter that I wrote, my, my go-to advice is, just start small and learn along the way. And, you know, as your understanding of Bitcoin increases, probably your exposure will increase as well. And you also, you have to grow into it. You know, like you can't, you can't go full on cypherpunk having a multi-sig setup and five different nodes on five different continents like right. from day one. Like you just can't do it. <laughs> it's just, you just have too to daunting. get better one piece at a time, you know. Exactly, yeah. And so, yeah, just, you know, start stacking sets. If you don't do it already, start stacking sets today. And um, like the psychologically easiest way to do it is to set up a, an auto DCA plan, like a, a Bitcoin savings plan. And then just every week or every month with every paycheck, as, assuming that you you still have an income stream, um, you know, you, you will just convert some some value that you get from the world into Satoshi's. And the important thing is to kind of learn about self-custody, hold your own keys, um, you know, be self-sovereign in the sense that no one can take the Bitcoin away from you. And that's like, that's, that's basically, if I would have to sum up Bitcoin in like the profundity of Bitcoin in one sentence, it's like, it's the only thing that no one can take from you. It's, it's, it literally is the only thing that no one can ever take away from you because you can store Bitcoin in your head. Bitcoin can't be inflated away. It's, it's very, very powerful. You know, like even if you have gold bars in your basement, someone can come and break in and take that away. If you have, you know, like any property, the government can step in and take it away. Not so with Bitcoin. If you if you hold Bitcoin properly and secure it properly, no one can ever take it away. And it's also, it's one of the very few things. It, I always say, you know, holding Bitcoin is like knowing a secret and you can take a secret to the grave. And so, you know, we, that's, that's, that's a funny thing in Bitcoin. It's that inheritance is kind of built in because if you, <laughs> yeah. if, if you die and no one gets access to your Bitcoin, the Bitcoin are effectively lost and everyone else's Bitcoin uh, gets more valuable in the process. That's crazy. Um, our friend Kyron Down sent in a question. Kyron from the Mere Mortals podcast. 
He asks, I'd love to know how Gigi thinks the average person will be affected using Bitcoin in five to 10 years time. Uh, will it be behind the scenes and they don't know how they are using it? Will it influence their personal behavior to become more responsible for their finances? Oh, and if he can address the tension between being a store of value and a peer-to-peer -peer payment network at the same time, V for V, woo! <laughs> there you go, V for V, woo! <laughs> I like that ending. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, um. Those are two questions that are kind of very big in scope, but I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll try my best. Um, I think to the first one, if Bitcoin will continue to change the individual, I think in or if it will just be in the background, I, I think both will be true. Very much like if you look at the early phases of the internet, everyone was very kind of aligned with the idea of free information for everyone and uh you know like uh, this idea still exists like wikipedia is uh, like an embodiment of, of this idea and say about wikipedia what you will i know you know there's valid valid criticism to be had about it all but it's it's kind of amazing that you have um you know like a library of knowledge like wikipedia at your fingertips and accessible by all and so i think the internet is very much in the background that most people do not know how it works and how you know like your smartphone connects to the wi-fi and how it all works and you just you know stream something on netflix and you have no idea <laughs> what's going on in the background but I, I still think it changes people i mean just look what we are doing right now it's completely normal in my world it's completely normal yeah it's like you're, you're at a different uh end of the world and <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea who i am or where i am currently and we're just talking like old friends and and it's just you know people connecting and having a chat and uh i think in that sense the, the internet changed society and people and um i think the same will be true for bitcoin that it's just it will enable the same or similar freedoms and I think they will be even stronger because, you know, they are financial freedoms. So I think everyone, if if the Bitcoiners are right, and if we manage to build this out right, and if we manage to build out the self-sovereign technologies as we hope that we will, then everyone will have the freedom to transact, the freedom to save, and, you know, the freedom to not be stolen from forever. And also the freedom to remain anonymous if they want to be, you know, like you don't need an identity to use Bitcoin. That's also very powerful. And so, so I think this will be true forever because Bitcoin is at its core, it, those properties of Bitcoin will not change. And um, it's just about making them accessible and uh, to more people, uh, making it easier to use, easier to understand and so on. And um, scaling the whole thing to like 8 billion people. It's it's quite a challenge. Like from an engineering perspective, it's quite a challenge. Very similar to, you know, <laughs> scaling the internet to a couple of billion people is quite the engineering challenge too. And we're not done yet, you know, like there's still a billion plus people that, that are offline. So um, mm -hmm. all of that is still evolving. And so, so I think both will be true. I think... I, I I think I think we will have a couple of moments in the next um, years that will be comparable to similar moments that we had with previous technologies um, uh, like the internet. And for example, I always refer to it as the voice over IP moment for Bitcoin, because um, for those of you who are old enough, <laughs> you will know that when you use the telephone before the internet, it 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 everything worked very differently like the phones worked very differently mm -hmm. and it used it, it went via you know copper wires and uh, it was all you know like dial up very 
very primitive technology. And there was a point in time where just all the telephones switched to voice over IP, which meant they switched to the internet and everything went via the internet and everything just worked better and calls would not drop as often anymore and everything went digital and so on. And nothing really changed for the end user. You know, like no one noticed. No one really knew this. <laughs> Only like the engineers knew and you, you, you might get a new phone and you, and, and, and you know, the sounds that the phone makes might be a bit different and so on. But but in the end, like that's, that's, that's kind of a, a, an infrastructure inversion. That's like an infrastructure switch. And I think we will have this in Bitcoin as well. Like I think it's very obvious that Bitcoin is just superior settlement technology and banks will use it to, to settle their businesses and so on. And it's just to, to do remittances and just cross-border payments and so on. Bitcoin is way, way, way faster, way cheaper, way more secure and all, all the rest of it. Like the old systems are so convoluted and it's, it's all so bad. And so, so we will have these kind of switches where just it's going to be Bitcoin in the background, whether you know it or not, even if you just use fiat rails. Like if you send money from one bank in one country to another bank in another country and you have like three different currency conversions in the process, you won't know, you won't notice and it will be faster and cheaper and we'll use Bitcoin underneath. And so, so this will happen definitely. But I think for, you know, everyone is talking about the digital natives, kids that grew up with smartphones and right. Fortnite and whatnot and so on. And I think we will just have the same thing with Bitcoin natives. I, I mean, you know, like I have a daughter, she won't have a bank account. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, she, I mean, many Bitcoiners have kids and, you know, yep. the kids get the, their allowances in, in sets and, and you know, uh, my daughter already knows what shitcoins are and nice. she will, you know, <laughs> point, to, point to a euro <laughs> coin and uh, look, daddy, a shitcoin. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so the kids are going to be all right and I think... Um, they will be changed by Bitcoin just like the digital natives are, you know, I think just the brain works very differently if you grew up with, if, if you just grow up with this technology. And it's not the first technology, you know, like reading and writing is another great example. Basically all the kids can read and uh, like a couple hundred years ago, that was not the case. And so your brain works very differently if you just can't read and, and can't do this. And uh, I mean, same goes for just, you can use the internet and you know like, you know, how everything works intuitively. And I think the, the similar things will be true. You just know how to, you know, receive a, a, a value stream, for example. You, you know how to set up a wallet and just get money from absolutely anyone on earth instantly, if, if you want to. And I think this will just be assumed and it will be, um, it will be a different world because now this is impossible. It's not only cumbersome, but it is impossible. Try to Try to get a bank account and receive money if you're under 18, you know, like it's... Uh, it's insane that that this doesn't work. But if <laughs> if right. you're if you know how Bitcoin works and if you if you're familiar with these technologies, familiar enough, like that's that's a non-issue. So so that that was kind of a, a long answer to the first question. So it's a kind of um, both. You know, it, it will be in the background, but I think it will continually change people as well, and change society, of course, too. And um, the second one, remind me again what the second one was. I just had it. Uh, it was will influence people to be more responsible in their financial behavior. Oh yeah, I think I think so. I think this will continue to happen um, because I think we will truly return to a sound monetary standard. And I think people were more responsible in the past on the gold standard because it's just it's very hard to make more gold and it's impossible to make more Bitcoin. So I think people will be more responsible in how they spend their 
hard money that they have or that they inherited and so on. So I think that's true. And um, the second big question was the tension between store of value and medium of exchange, basically. So the, yeah. the fact that it is the hardest money that humanity has ever known, and it is also a great payment network, especially if you um, uh, add Lightning on top and, and consider, you know, like the streaming sets and all the rest of it. So I think it, it is one of the main tensions in Bitcoin because there is the store of value crowd that will tell you that Bitcoin is called 2.0 and they are right. right. <laughs> and they don't want to they want they don't want to spend a single Satoshi and they're just like, okay, let's hoard all the Bitcoin and let's stack as many sets as possible and just never spend them for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like that's that's a valid view on Bitcoin, I would say. But um you know, the the other crowd is right too. Um, Bitcoin has to be a medium of exchange uh, for it to work even, you know, like it's, 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 it's all tangled up in this hot big mess and it's like the yin and yang, it's the two, two sides of the, of the same coin. Um, it, Bitcoin has to settle uh, quite a, a big amount of money um, every 10 minutes for it to secure itself, you know, like it's, um, yep. New blocks need to come in every ten minutes, otherwise the the system is broken, and so it needs to be spent and it needs to circulate always. And Satoshi, like you can see this very clearly in the announcement that he put out with Bitcoin, and also in the white paper and in some other things that he wrote, he tried to solve like five different problems at once. <laughs> and it's like you know, in, in in the Genesis block, very clearly you can read that Bitcoin is anti bailout technology. You know, it's like Chancellor on the brink of second bailout. That's the the message that is embedded in the in block number zero in Bitcoin in the Genesis block. And so he very clearly that's like a political statement. That's like a rallying cry. That's like you know, nothing is too big to fail. We should not bail out special interest groups. We should not bail out banks. We should not just make you know print money out of thin air. And I mean, he he had this very clearly in his writing that it's you know um, that all money is based on trust and history is full of breaches of this trust and you know banks will and governments will you know uh, do fractional reserve and um, you know uh, produce all these credit bubbles and all the rest of it. But he also mentioned that you know banks and other institutions they will gather all of our personal data and they will sell the data and uh, uh, and, and so. Um, private e-cash is very important too it's like uh you know i mean if you ever if you ever went to somewhere uh to, to a cashless society or if you're living in a cashless society like in the scandinavian states for example in norway or sweden or what have you um you immediately realize how different it is you know like cash is insanely important and i think especially online it's important and so that that immediately points to medium of exchange you know you need like you need to be able to spend money anonymously or pseudonym pseudonymously online sure and you you don't want to have a system where identity is a requirement and where all the info about you will be gathered all the time so right from the get-go you had these two aspects to bitcoin and of course you know like we had the big um block size war so th there's a great book uh, with the title the block size wars um that sums this up nicely and it was about this tension like what bitcoin is and what it should be mm -hmm. and how bitcoin should change like if is is uh, <laughs> um well I, I i won't get it I, I won't get into it like i won't get into details <laughs> the, the the main as far as i'm concerned it was a, a battle of the soul of bitcoin it's like should we make a backwards incompatible change like should we basically create a new bitcoin to make bitcoin more spendable for more people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the one um, 
like one camp was saying like yes we should do that and another camp was like no we we if we change bitcoin we kind of break the identity of bitcoin and we break um like the whole promise of uh, the unchanging monetary policy and so on and um so the the fraction that was against the change in the end won this narrative war and uh, that's why also we have a second layer scaling solution now with the Lightning Network, which I personally, as an engineer, believe is the proper solution to scale this technology because you you need to have exponential scaling solutions. It's it, like you can't you can solve this exponential problem with linear thinking. You you need to do something that actually you know um, scales in orders of magnitude, and Lightning actually does that, and other technologies uh, like other Bitcoin scaling solutions do that too. Anyway, it's. I would say the tension is still ongoing and it's it, it now moved to the question of privacy because Bitcoin is not perfectly private. Sure. It's pseudonymous. So because it is a, a, a public record of who owes what to whom and who spent what to which address, you can trace the flows of Bitcoin on the public ledger. So you can just look on the public ledger and see like where the money flows. But the thing is, I'm choosing my words very carefully because it is all about money flows. There is no way to tag a Bitcoin or tag a Satoshi and 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 kind of um, you know with a hundred percent certainty see where it went. Mm -hmm. It's all heuristics, and it's very much like trying to imagine you have like fifteen different water streams and you try to follow one single molecule. You sure, know, it's 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 really really hard. And so privacy in Bitcoin is still very hard. It's it's very hard to use Bitcoin. Um, let, let me put it like this it's very easy to shoot yourself in the foot <laughs> sure <laughs> because I wouldn't even say that it's super super hard to use Bitcoin privately it, if you know what you're doing it's actually not that hard but it's like one tiny mistake and you fuck up your whole privacy like uh, uh, that's still kind of a problem and, and the way that it um, uh, like the way that it works currently is that you have all the big Bitcoin banks like the Coinbase of the world and so on they will gather user data and they will sell it to governments and chain analysis companies and it's very much like google will sell you data and facebook will sell you data and mm -hmm. so on but of course it's related to you know like the money which is more problematic i would say and so yeah i mean a lot of people are working on solving this problem and the analogy i always like to give is you know we we had a big problem online that everything was plain text not too long ago you know, like 20 years ago, everything sure. was HTTP and plain text and you you would, you know, you could go into a random internet cafe and plug into the Wi-Fi and you just can read all the emails of all the people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually possible and people actually, did, like people like myself did this. <laughs> and, and it was not, it, it was not a good situation to be in, just, you know, globally speaking. And Edward Snowden showed this very clearly with mm -hmm. his revelations that just because of that, you know, a whole surveillance apparatus um, was built out and so on. And so, um, yeah, it was a lot of engineering effort to integrate strong encryption at the base layer of the internet. It, we went from HTTP to HTTPS and we, you know, introduced SSL and end-to-end -end encryption into uh, almost everything. I mean, we're not done yet, but it's like HTTPS is used on like 97% of sites now or something like that. So, yeah. so, so we're almost there and it's just a default, but it took a very long time. And the solution to this was not to build a second internet, you know? Right. It was to upgrade the one that we already had because of network effects and other things. And I think the same will be true for Bitcoin. And there are some promising technologies in the pipeline, so to speak, where privacy will increase step by step. And I think we won't have 
we won't have this tension anymore in like 10 years from now. I think currently it still exists both on the, um, is it gold or should I spend it? Sure. <laughs> side, you know, should I hoard it or should I spend it? And also on the uh, kind of privacy side, it's like um, some people make the argument that it's it's not a good medium of exchange because it's not 100% perfectly private. Um, I, I disagree. I think, you know, Bitcoin will always be spendable because the way Bitcoin works is you can like, what what do you do when you want to spend Bitcoin is that you bribe someone else to take your Bitcoin, like you bribe <laughs> the miners. That's how you can understand it. And as long as Bitcoin mining is sufficiently decentralized uh, across you know jurisdictions and continents, someone you know in China or in Russia or wherever, someone will take your bribe. <laughs> so you will always be able to spend your Bitcoin like no matter what. Mm. And it's it's very promising all the developments that that have happened uh, in the last. Uh, months and years because for example in China mining was banned and it's like 20% or something of the hash rate is still in China so in the most authoritarian place yeah. <laughs> possible a lot of people are mining underground illegally sure. you know risking their life to to support sound money and to support uh, financial freedom and, and financial sovereignty so I think that's a very um, a very good trend and I, I hope I mean you know like I, I think that's 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 an interesting idea to chew on as well because it's very similar to the war of drugs uh, to the war on drugs definitely it's just like it's it's not very hard to grow a plant somewhere you know either in the woods or in your garden or in your basement or <laughs> in your attic or what have you and so making something illegal always comes down to enforcement can you actually enforce it and mining bitcoin and holding bitcoin is very very easy for mining Bitcoin, you only need electricity and a communications channel, like a satellite dish and, and you know, a turbine in, in, in a stream of water is enough. Mm -hmm. And for holding Bitcoin, it's even easier. You know, it's 12 words in your head. That's that's all it takes, 12 words in your head. It's very hard to outlaw this. And, and that's why I'm like, I, I don't think regulations or bans or those kind of things will have any real influence. And this all relates to the criticism of, you know, Bitcoin privacy and medium of exchange and so on, because people go like, oh, it will be banned and then you can't use it anymore because it can be traced and so on. Sure. It's like, okay, first of all, it cannot be traced perfectly. Right. Like, it just can't. And second of all, like you can watch the, you know, bad Satoshis that some government labeled as bad somewhere and you can just watch them move the net through the network and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and they just you, keep at, flowing. At, at one point in time, yeah, and at one point in time, they will be so diluted and so, like in so many different wallets that it, it, it just becomes meaningless, that the idea of taint will become meaningless. And uh, so, yeah, these are my thoughts on, on the whole issue. I think this tension will be with us for still quite some time, but, uh, but I'm very confident in 10 years from now, this tension will be gone. I've always seen it as kind of a just a problem of of uh, mindset, where you know, in my opinion, you can you can have your cake and spend it too. You know, you can. I, I'm <laughs> I'm you know paid biweekly. I get this much fiat uh, cash in my system. You know, when we started first doing value yep. for value, that's what a lot of people push back on who were already Bitcoiners. We almost got more pushback from people who were already Bitcoiners saying mm -hmm. no one will ever spend their Bitcoin. No one will ever send you. And it's funny because the argument to them immediately was like, well, people already are. It's like, so you're already wrong. But, um, you know, like you were saying, just look at the blocks. Like, look at how much uh, Bitcoin is transferred every day. Like the fact that you buy Bitcoin, somebody else is selling it to you. So people are spending 
their Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. If you're stacking sets, someone else is selling. Yeah, yeah that's like, that's, that's a two-way <laughs> transaction. So it doesn't just come out of thin air. It comes from yeah. somewhere. So somebody sold that to you. But if, it's, just a, it's just a matter of looking at your books. At the end of the day, if I'm sending, you know, 50,000 sets over the course of a week to several podcasts, then I'm stacking, you know, maybe 100,000 sats at the end of the week in fiat. And then I've stacked 50 and I've sent 50 and I have more sats at the end of the week and I've only spent fiat. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like it's, I wrote about this at length and uh, uh, maybe it will be worthwhile to link it in the show notes as well. I I wrote a long Twitter thread that I kind of converted into a kind of article form as well on exactly this idea and uh, how it's all about flows. It's all about monetary flows and mm-hmm. every every economic actor needs to have economic inflows and the balance and economic outflows. And it doesn't matter what unit of account you use to measure these flows. And the more, like if your balance grows, then you will have savings. And yep. that's exactly what you're describing. You know, like you have a certain inflow and you have certain outflows, which are which is your spending, of course. And if you hold something for a long time, then this will be your savings. And that's the way I think about it. And the tension kind of is, if you if you look at the conversion from, um, you know, a, a balance to an outflow or from an inflow to a balance, that's the that's the medium of exchange aspect. And the the uh, store of value aspect is is just the balance alone, just the savings. And so I don't see I don't see a big tension there. Like I've I've been I've been living on a Bitcoin standard um, uh, for a while now, and I had times where I had no monetary inflows, where I was you know just eating up my savings. And so I was forced to spend Bitcoin, of course. You know, sure. like it's the, the, there is <laughs> if it's all you have and you need to eat, right. you need to pay rent, like. Yep. What can you do? Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to sell it, but you, yeah, you know, like you kind of have to eat. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's and, true. Of no matter what uh, yeah, monetary exactly. system you're on, you're gonna have to, like, food doesn't last forever. Food, you got to yeah, eat it, exactly. and you can't just have a bunch of it around and eat for the rest of your life. Like, you have to yeah. keep acquiring food. So yeah. that's like, I mean, that's one of the main reasons money even exists in the first place. Like, yeah, yeah. And and I came to the same conclusion uh, that you did. So so my plan is to you know just um, try my best to do something useful, provide some value, and I don't care um, like what kind of currency is used uh, for my monetary inflows. I will take as much of this as I can <laughs> and yeah. not spend it and convert it into sets. And I I know kind of you know like I mean I I live a very minimal life, kind of a good life. I I can't complain, but uh, I don't need a lot of things to be happy yeah i don't have any expensive hobbies you know um it's it's i know what i need for food and rent and that's about it sure and as, as long as i can make it i mean it's a very i mean adam curry talks about this as well it's it's like the, at the core of value for value kind of it's like whatever comes in if it is enough to pay the costs and pay rent and pay for food that's good everything else is a bonus yep and that's my philosophy and i think it will be my philosophy probably for the end of my life and it's 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 a very kind of humble and minimalistic approach but once you once you make the switch then um you know like the the tension of store of value and medium of exchange kind of disappears because i don't care again like if i can i will earn bitcoin 
straight away. And I'm, I also, I, I don't have any problem with spending Bitcoin. Like I spent, I spent Bitcoin every single day, like, and have been for a while. Mm-hmm. And now coming back to the orange pilling question, um, uh, I, I, I found myself on a, on a small island now where there are some other base Bitcoiners and they're just orange pilling absolutely everyone. Right. And so, you know, if, if, if I have my coffee, I pay on lightning. That's just the way it works because the guy who runs the coffee place, he, he has been orange pilled and he wants to stack. And so, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's his way of <laughs> stacking sats is, you know, trying to convince everyone who wants to pay for coffee in lightning in lightning like he will he will stack these sets it's it's still such a such a small fraction of people that um you know he 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 can pocket these sets away and he, he won't have to spend them anytime soon totally and i think that's that's just how it works and that's how it will work into the future and i think as if, if you've been around for a while if we've been stacking sets for a while even if it's just you know like again 20 bucks a week or whatever you yep. if, if you did it for the last eight years <laughs> 99 percent of your money will be in bitcoin of your purchasing power and um, that's kind of the the side effect of um a new money monetizing and we are still in this like make no mistake we're still in this exponential monetization process a lot of people you know in the mainstream media will make you believe that bitcoin is dead because it crashed by 50 percent. but it's to be expected because it's still so 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 small compared yep. to all other monies and to all other you know compared to real estate compared compared to gold, compared to many, many other things, you know, bond market and so on. And so if you, if you're just, uh, if you just keep stacking and um, kind of every single week have more sets to your name than you had before, mm-hmm. it will, in terms of purchasing power, it will probably be um, the largest piece of your, of your cake. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Give them enough time. Yeah. Um, I, I just see it kind of as, it's it's it seems at first like a paradox but then on the other side of it it makes nothing but sense where these two ideas seem to clash but really you got to have both of them because if you if you believe that it's a great store of value but that you should never spend it then really you're only half believing in bitcoin and yeah. if you believe that it is a great uh medium of of value exchange but you're not stacking it then you also only half believe in bitcoin and yeah, I agree. it's not until you hit both of those where you're like, oh, this is a great medium of value exchange, so I'm going to use it as such. And because of that, I'm also going to stack it because I care about my future. Then yeah. the this thing starts to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the last phase is just not care about store of value or medium of exchange anymore. Only care about unit of account and basically count your whole net worth as the amount of sets you have. Sure. And do all your economic calculations in sets, basically. You know, it's like, do I really want to, I don't know, you know, spend like 3 million sets on a new pair of headphones? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, that's kind of a lot, you know? Yeah. I, the old ones still work. <laughs> yeah. And so I think most most Bitcoiners that have been in Bitcoin for a while, they, they will kind of intuitively switch to um, sets as their, um, as their unit of account. And th- those are the, thre- the three main kind of um the three main aspects of money is store of value medium of exchange and unit of account and i think as bitcoin grows more and more people will use it as a store of value and and uh you know a, s- a smaller percentage will use it as a, a medium of exchange and an even smaller percentage will use it as a as a unit of account but all of these groups of people like it, it will only grow it can only grow i i think you know, I like to say that stacking sets is a one-way street. Like once you truly understand what's going on, and you understand the properties of money and what Bitcoin is and uh, how the fiat mon- monetary system is failing, you're not going back. You know, uh, yeah. as I said before, like if you hold, 
if you're in Venezuela and you hold US dollars, you don't, you're not holding US dollars to go back to the Bolivar. It's right. like, no, no, like it's... <laughs> you escaped. <laughs> you escaped. And the yeah. same is true for Bitcoin. Once, once you have sets and hold sets and think in sets and think in Bitcoin and understand that Bitcoin will always be there for you and Bitcoin is actually the stable system, you know, like that's what most people don't realize. Bitcoin is such a fucking stable system. No doubt. Don't look, don't look at... Don't look at the fiat exchange value. That's not what I mean. But every 10 minutes block will come in. Bitcoin is the most resilient, most stable system. And once you understood this and once you understand or start to grasp how it works, it will always be there for you. You know, like there's no there's no magic to, to Bitcoin. Like you can actually understand it and you can understand that. I mean, I, I say this now all the time because I think it sums it up so perfectly. To create a Bitcoin wallet, you can lock yourself into the toilet and just flip a coin 256 times. And that's a valid Bitcoin wallet. You just need a larger random number. So it's, you just need <laughs> to lock yourself in, in, in the room 256 times, flip a coin, and you're good to go. Do some math afterwards. That's all, all you need to do. And of course, you know, like your smartphone makes this very convenient and uh, your computer makes this very convenient and it doesn't really matter too much what you use, you know, like you, sure. if you use a hardware wallet or like a phone wallet or, or what have you. But... Bit, that's that's what I mean with Bitcoin will always be there for you because you can always do this. You know, like you can always <laughs> create a large random number and store 12 words in your head. Like yep. you just can't do this and then Bitcoin will be there for you. And that's what makes it so powerful. So you had mentioned uh, a number of times so far this morning the uh, uh, privacy and the use of uh, pseudonymity. And I kind of wanted to get your take on that because recently we had a guest who talked about... Uh, you know, we're both in the no agenda world and she was like, it's like so refreshing that you guys use your actual names. And, um, you know, we had some people in the community who like all, you know, use handles or use pseudonyms and were like, uh, I don't know, kind of, um, they felt called out by it or something, but I kind of, uh, you know, for me using my name is a personal choice that I've put a lot of thought into. I didn't just do it willy nilly, but uh, I wanted to talk about the other side of it and like the pros and the reasons behind using NIMS and maybe even like the the meaning of, if there's meaning behind your NIM, Gigi. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is. It's 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 a very easy explanation. I I, I wrote about it in the past. I I, <laughs> I haven't spoken about it often, but uh, I'm I'm just Gigi in real life as well, which makes it very very easy for me to to use this this pseudonym. So my sister actually gave me this name when I was like two years old or something, and uh, it's not my legal name, but everyone calls me Gigi, including you know like uh, my whole family and uh, you know. All, like also in my professional life I, I kind of always was Gigi okay and um, so that makes it very very easy for me there is no like big slip up you know like sure it's, if, if, if you'll meet me I'll be Gigi and everyone will call me Gigi uh, that makes it very convenient and easy and I think just in general I think um, I, I really hate the idea of kind of a Facebook world or a LinkedIn world where everyone has like you know their their legal name and their government given name yeah. and there's no way to change it and you have this one single identity because it's just such a fucked up concept of identity it's so it's so not true like you have like five different identities at least like you're a different person at church or when you're with your grandma or at work or at the strip club or in your sports club or what have you like sure you you are not one person period you just are not and so i think i think I, I still like I'm I'm a gamer at heart. I, I, I used to play competitive games a lot, uh, like shooters and strategy games and so on. And 
it was just like everyone knew you by your gamer tag or handle or, or what have you by yep. your nickname but you also had the liberty to just you know play under a different nickname for a while and just change it completely and let the old one die and create a new one and so on and i really like this and i still like it and i think we should we should kind of keep this to default online like people should be free to use nims and people should be free to disappear and people should be free to have like two or three different nims at once and people should be free to you know like <laughs> put on whatever mask they they want to they, they want to wear like it's it's again like identity is prismatic identity is not one thing and so if you want to i don't know like point something out politically or uh, like rally for a cause, you might want to use a different name than uh, your le legal name or, um, you know, like your game attack or whatever you sure. Yeah. And, and I think so. So a, a lot of people just have, haven't thought about identity deep, deeply. And of course, you know, there's also the privacy aspect to it. I, uh, one of the powerful things about Bitcoin is, I mean, Bitcoin only works because Satoshi disappeared. You know, like a lot of people sure. do not realize the importance of Satoshi being a pseudonymous founder. No one knows who he is. And he just, he, he, he got the project out of the door and then he disappeared. He disappeared before the first halving, you know, like he, he only stuck around for like one and a half years. And so he kind of made sure that everything kind of works and he fixed a couple of bucks and then he disappeared because he realized the system needs to be leaderless. This system needs to be completely decentralized. And the, the only way that the state can impose its violence on you is if they know who you are. If you're just someone in cyberspace, it's very hard to be violent against this person. You know, like you just yep. can't do it. It's just, you're more like an idea than anything else. And it's very hard to, you know, <laughs> be violent against an idea. And um, so I really like this aspect as well, that um, it shouldn't be trivial to find out who you are, where you live and what your past is by like spending 10 seconds on Google. And for most people, unfortunately, you know, that's not the case. <laughs> it's very fucking easy to Google most people and just yeah. find out absolutely everyone, uh, everything about <laughs> about them. And so that's my main motivation behind uh, remaining remaining pseudonymous is to to kind of talk about these issues, to start a conversation around privacy identity, to really show that, you know, identity is not singular. It's also a more tricky concept than most people realize. And to also just have some privacy. And uh, I, I, I reserve the right to disappear, you know, like I, yeah. I, mean, I, I will stick around Bitcoin for a very long while still, I think. But, um, you know, it's it's also nice that not absolutely everyone knows your face. And, sure. Um, you can just, you know, like I can go to a Bitcoin conference and just walk around and no one will recognize me. And that's really, really nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's powerful for sure. Um, something we've noticed lately in the in the no agenda community in particular is there's been like an uptick fad in uh, NFTs and buying and purchasing them. And, you know, we have a a big now really now i know they're all dying now like <laughs> i'm talking it's crazy like within the last two or three weeks oh my god like uh an uptick in it like several of the uh <laughs> That's there, bad. there's a there's a core community of, of artists you know digital artists and uh every no agenda episode has a little art contest for who's going to be the show art and um nfts it's like a bunch of people just figured out how to buy them <laughs> within the past few weeks and so we have this kind of dilemma of like do we let our friends shit coin uh what do we say if we decide we have to say something but more importantly i saw you tweet uh just as recently like in the within the same time period about eft's which are uh, <laughs> extremely fungible tokens right and so uh 
I feel like that's more compatible with our community and uh, obviously yeah. the value for value model. I just wanted to get your take on uh, how much have you explored the whole EFT phenomenon? And uh... <laughs> I, I don't think it's fair to call it a phenomenon. I think it was more a project created by a bunch of uh, designers or artists or what have you to, sure. you know, create stuff that looks like an NFT, but you just can, you know, like you have everyone's permission to just download it and right click, save it. Sure. <laughs> and so, oh man, NFTs, it's, I mean, it's... It's really difficult to explain to people why NFTs are a scam, kind of, because it feels like there's something there, you know, like it feels like, oh, wow, there's this like art and you can monetize it online and sure. you really own it and so on. Well, and, and I think just... the extra layer of it is, I th and especially for our community, is even some people who will accept that there's a scammy layer to it, or maybe it's like an outright scam, can still say, but I like this guy. And he's one of us. And so I bought it from him. And so he benefits, right? So I bought an unregistered security to scam other people and just pump some, you know, shitcoin with an issuance of one. Right. Yeah, well, um, I don't know. Just don't do NFTs, kids. Like, you know, <laughs> don't do it. See, that's the, that's the problem uh, that I come to from, uh, you know, like, I mean, this is a, largely a weed podcast. Even though we <laughs> we get into the weeds of other stuff, like and and it's it's become kind of a just a chunk of our main content, but uh, I sort of want a uh, a more digestible message of why you know because uh, don't do NFTs is is true and it's right, but like don't do pot never really worked, you know, like just <laughs> just say no never really worked, yeah. And so that's kind of like the place I'm stuck in. Cause I also don't want to like, it, it, it comes back to the do we orange pill people thing. Like, mm -hmm. do I say, Hey, you're like participating in this scam and you might want to rethink it. Um, is that going to make it worse? It's going to make it better. I mean, you know, am I, am I just buzz killing people? Like, um, it comes back to that. I've been really struggling with how to approach this. Cause usually my style, right. Is just to, go guns blazing and, and um, kind of dunk on people. And uh, the, I wanted to get into this too, cause it may, so maybe we can roll right into it conceptually. But like yeah. toxicity as, the, uh, as a feature of, of Bitcoin <laughs> and, you know, going in and just dunking on people and telling them they're stupid out front. What, like there, there's a definite place for that, but I'm just trying to like, strike some kind of a balance or even figure out if that's mm. even mm. worth my time with so much else on my plate right now, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I mean, those, those are all very, very good questions and it's, it, it's very kind of hard to give a short, concise answer because it's, there's something to be said, for example, about toxicity. I think toxicity in most cases is, is kind of loving protection. You know, it's like, We've been around for a while. We went through this before. It's all a scam. Please just trust us. Like we don't want to do all the same stupid fucking mistakes and you're going to burn yourself. And it's all, these are all scammers. They're, they are all stupid. They don't, most of the time, the people that are shilling NFTs, for example, or creating NFTs, they don't even know that it's a scam. You know, like they're a snake, a snake oil salesman that truly believe um, that, you know, this particular snake oil will heal you. And sure. so, so, so I, I, I view toxicity mostly as like, experience and you know uh 
protective loving kindness <laughs> towards others <laughs> it's not only that but it's sure. i think for for many people it's it's mostly that um for me definitely like i you know i uh, nfts aren't new like we had nfts in bitcoin starting from like 2014 i think 2013 14 mm -hmm. is when the first nfts came with rare peppers and so on like we went through all of this before it's just it's all a scam it's um, <laughs> it's it's if <laughs> it's uh, whether people realize it or not like all nfts go to zero eventually and um of course you know like these hype cycles come in waves and people i really like the saying of a friend of mine who says like there's only two ways people learn it's either curiosity or pain and mm. most people are just not curious enough and they will have to learn through pain so it's just there's something to be said about you know going through the motions of all the shit coins and nfts and just burning your fingers and just you know losing so much money and just you know that's how people learn usually those are just expensive expensive lessons in kind of monetary theory applied monetary theory <laughs> right and um explaining why nfts are a scam is it, it is very difficult though i tried I, I wrote a very long thread um on i i even gave a talk on it um like what a blockchain is what it does what it can and can't do and why nfts are a scam and it's it's all related to the idea that there is no link between the world of information and the real physical world. Right. So I, I call this the problem of like bananas on a blockchain. So if you try to put bananas on a blockchain and every time you hear like real estate on a blockchain or medical records on a blockchain yep. or NFTs on a blockchain or what have you, it's always the same thing. So it's bananas on a blockchain. And the thing is that you can put bananas on a blockchain kind of, but you, you have to take a snapshot of you know your crate of bananas or your warehouse that has the bananas in them. And then you need to have one person that counts them. And then you can say, okay, on this day, <laughs> at this time, mm -hmm. there were like 200 bananas in, <laughs> in the warehouse. And sure. now there are 200 banana entries on the blockchain. Okay, now you wait like two weeks and all the bananas go to shit and they rot. Does the blockchain update itself? No, it does not. And that's what's called the Oracle problem. So it's it's really, really hard to keep the real world in sync with, it's it's impossible actually, right. to keep the real world in sync with an informational record. It's impossible to do it in a trustless way. You can always cheat this. You can always like, I can say, okay, it's like 2000 bananas on the blockchain now, even though they aren't actually there. And so you can always lie when it comes to the input and the output of, of, of an informational system. And what Bitcoin does is, Bitcoin is the only thing that will not lie to you. And the reason why it can do that is it does not refer to anything that is external, so to speak, in the world. The only thing that it does is does computi computations and the computations do have an externality, which is energy consumption. So that's how Bitcoin ties itself to the physical real world. It's via its use of energy. Sure. It's via its energy consumption. And and that's also why Bitcoin requires energy to work and so on to, to secure itself. And I mean, it's it's all, it, it's it's not easy to understand, but that's, that's kind of the gist of it. And so what NFTs are is basically bananas on the blockchain. And you can see this very clearly because <laughs> you can right click and save an NFT. And so what the people are actually buying, they think they are buying the art. Like that's the problem I have with it. That everyone yeah. who tries to shill nfts is like you own this jpeg now and you own like whatever and that's just absolutely not true like you you you, you in most cases <laughs> what you own is way 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 worse and some people say like you own a receipt of this jpeg or it's like a signature or it's like a fingerprint of the data and so on and in most cases even that is not true um it's all run on centralized databases and it's all very very scammy it's all very very bad and there's there are just like we know already there are 
that there are virtually no use cases. Like all, all the things that th these people try to sell you with, with like, you know, you can uh, go into an exclusive club with your board ape and you can log yourself in online and so on. It's all bullshit. Like those people don't understand the problems properly and they don't understand identity or, um, you know, the problem so to come with identifying yourself, authenticating yourself, the problem with, you know, like <laughs> private key rollovers. And like, those are all very, very hard problems. And yep. NFTs don't solve any of them. And so NFTs are basically useless and they're just um, pure hype and speculation. And they're also not scarce. Like you can create NFTs. And <laughs> what's really funny now, now these uh, AIs pop up that can draw really well, you know, and can do uh, uh, like these deep neural networks that will generate art. Um, Wally is one of the... Um, uh, Dali, sorry, it's written like Wally, but yeah, uh, it's Dali. Da yeah, Dali 2 or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so if, if you want to look into this, just look into GPT-3 and look into um, Dali 2. And you will see that, you know, like you can print NFTs by the billions very easily. <laughs> they all look very nice and they all look like they were made by real artists and sure. they're all very scarce, you know, like looks rare and all yep. the rest of it. And um, that's the problem with um, those kind of things that they're not actually rare. And sure. You don't actually own them because you can't own information. It's like an idea, you know, like you can't own an idea actually. It's like, I, I always like to saying, and I, and I had this in, in my NFT talk, it's like, um, you know, apples and ideas are very different because if I have an apple and you have an apple, and we exchange apples, then both of us still have one apple. But if I have an idea and you have an idea and we exchange ideas, both of us have two ideas. And mm -hmm. that's the difference. And that's why NFTs don't work. You know, it's like, it's, you cannot, you cannot have something that is both scarce and information. And this is also true for Bitcoin kind of like, you can, you can copy Bitcoin. That's why Bcash and all the rest of it exists. Bitcoin just builds up a system. It, 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 it builds up this intricate dance that makes invalid copies useless. And this is not true really for NFTs because you can have NFTs on multiple chains and you like right. the, the JPEG is completely removed from the NFT. So there is no link. It's like the banana in the warehouse, you know? Yep. Like you, you can, that's why you can right click save an NFT and you always, you always will be able to save the art um, uh, or the music file or the movie. Yeah, or the, the like important part of it. Like yeah, the, I part mean, that, I the part the that part you could that is add, actually being sold, yeah, right? The I part mean, that you could argue honest, has value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and so, so, th so that's a problem. That it's it's a problem with digital information. Like if you if you can read it, you can copy it with perfect fidelity. That's also coming back to the value for value idea. That's yep. also why copy protection never works and never will work. Like a DRM does not exist. You know, right? It's it, it's that's why every movie can be pirated. It's like it doesn't matter what kind of copy protection you put on something. Yeah, if there is a device on the other end that can decrypt it and can't present it to the user, you can copy every single byte, every single zero and one with perfect fidelity without the copy protection. That's just the way these things work. That's Correct, the nature yeah. of information. And that's why NFTs are a scam and that's why it will never work. And that's why, you know, the JPEG itself will never be scarce and so on. But of course, you know, it's it's not easy to wrap your head around all these things and accept the fact that you were fooled and scammed and you just lost all your money. You just don't know it yet. Sure. So don't, again, kids, don't do NFTs. Just <laughs> accept. <laughs> That's, uh, we were kind of walking through this on a post show uh, in the past couple of weeks just because of this coming on. And uh, we were also discussing uh, that recent, I don't know, it got a lot of hype on Bitcoin Twitter of uh, uh, Packy McCormick kind of, failing to be walked through the the whole um real estate transaction on blockchain on web3 example you know like the the w biggest promised use case that and um and i'm in real estate as well so like i'm always interested in like walking through that example and i've always like 
been open-minded about like the the possibility or the potential there but then when you actually uh break it down like it was broken down um with i think uh zach weinberg was kind of the guy that picked it apart it just becomes i think the breakdown in nft just becomes like you have to believe that this uh token on the blockchain can possibly represent a real world object always and truthfully you know and i think like what you're pointing out is like if you can trust somebody to enter it correctly then you can at least trust that it can represent the real world asset in one point in time (laughs) but then like that point in time is over as soon as it's confirmed and if trust is involved and trust is also involved yes if there is an entity that you have to trust. So if trust is involved, you don't need to use a convoluted system like a blockchain to make it all work. You can just use a central entity, a central database, or like, you know, an art dealer that will hand you a certificate of authenticity and just do it like we've always done it in the art world (laughs) and be done with it. And the same is true for real estate. The same is true for medical records. The same is true for everything else you might want to put on a blockchain. It's all complete bullshit. And the thing is also about like, the reason why Bitcoin works in a trustless ma- in a trustless manner is because it creates its own monetary token to secure itself. And all trustless blockchains, all, <laughs> all blockchains that are worth running, <laughs> right. will have to create their own money and will become their own monetary network. Otherwise, they don't have any security budget. They don't have anything to secure themselves. And so that's why that's why I believe that you know it's a winner takes all scenario because all money competes all the time. All, all money fights for liquidity always. Sure. Money is singular because like, let's say you work for a week and you get a certain amount of value. Let's say you want to store this value somewhere. You have to decide. You cannot store the same amount of value in like gold and silver and real, real estate and Bitcoin and, and like 20 different other things and in an NFT. No, you have to decide. M- money is very singular. That's not true for everything because for example, I can send you a text message on like 25 different apps and it just won't matter. You know, like I don't have to choose one. But with money, you have to choose one. And that's like, you know, where sunk cost comes in and where, mm-hmm. you know, sort of value comes in and all the rest of it. And so all money always, like money from the Austrian perspective, is just a good like every other good, but it's the most liquid good. It's the most marketable good. It's the one thing that you can get rid of most easily, most quickly. And you can, you can always sell money. You can always get rid of your money and someone else will give something <laughs> to you for it. You know, It's very hard to get rid of a fridge, for example. So fridges are not very good money. Sure. It's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. And so all money always fights for liquidity. That's why all monies compete. And currently, you know, like historically, gold won out because it's the hardest money. It's very hard to make more gold. And for military reasons, the the world is currently run on a US dollar standard. So, you know, like all the monies in the world are fiat monies. All monies kind of compete, but you know, the US dollar is like the winner takes all money, so to speak. Mm. And if, if, if you want to, like, if you become a danger to the US dollar, your whole, you know, all your cities will be carpet bombed and your leaders will be executed. I mean, just <laughs> look at the last couple of decades. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's how the system kind of runs itself. And, and you know, the same is true for, for, for in the Bitcoin world. Like if, if, if something wants to, if something wants to, if some system wants to build up something like Bitcoin and put whatever bananas on the blockchain, it needs its own monetary token to secure itself in a right. trustless manner and that's why everything competes with bitcoin and 
like especially in the blockchain space and um like every 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 single fucking shitcoin is an attack on bitcoin as far as i'm concerned like that's um that's just the way like that's the economic reality of it basically you it, it's <laughs> i mean coming back to the internet you know like the, just that's why why it's so stupid to start a second internet sure like we ha we have an internet already people like are we have already... the shelling point <laughs> people are using it already yeah. it works and it's also what what's so interesting in in the monetary space is like the the monetary design space is limited like there is monetary properties are very important and and the way that the money can be set up is limited and bitcoin ticks all the boxes you know like sure. it's perfectly limited it can be teleported it's basically infinitely divisible especially on higher layers it's like you can store it in your head you know like it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's as good as it gets and very much like you know the design space of a wheel is limited too and just a round wheel is as good as it gets as if, if you're speaking about a like an all-purpose wheel wheel that will work on on any ground so to speak and the same is true, you know, for binary encoding, for example, is another example I often bring up. You know, if you want to encode information, binary is as good as it gets, zero and once. You don't need anything else. Every, everything else adds complexity. And nature landed on this as well, by the way. You know, the DNA is basically binary. It uses four base pairs, but they, they pair to each other. So you have, you have two pairs, you have zero and one. You have a zero pair and you have a one pair. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the reason why it's a double helix and it can't be split in part um, is because error correction and copying is built in. We don't need this with computers because the computers do, will do the error correction and the copying. But if you want to have information that is self-replicating and self-error correcting, you would do binary and you, you would need to have, you know, like the, the mirror image of binary. So you would land at four things and that's what nature did. Wow. And so it's, yeah, I mean, you know, like the design space of things is limited. Sure. And the design space of money is limited as well. And there is an optimum. And Bitcoin is like, you know, so insanely close to the optimum. I would say it's, it's basically optimal that just introducing a new thing doesn't make any sense. And and because these systems need to grow organically, it's like introducing, like, you know, like <laughs> one stupid example that I gave once, like, you know, just look at the earth, grass is everywhere, you know? Sure. And it's just, <laughs> grass is covering the earth absolutely everywhere. And if you, if you if you want to introduce something that's like better grass, you would have to remove, like it, you will instantly start a competition with the existing grass. Sure. And that's basically the way it, it works here as well. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, we heard a couple of boosters come in, including uh, 7777 from Booberry out of Fountain, who just says, uh, trust me, bitch. <laughs> Thank you, bitch. <laughs> and uh, 10101 from C-Dubs, who points out that's 21 in binary. There you uh, fucking go. He says, uh, in the bowl with Gigi, ignoring all NFTs are ERC-721, and that most NFT applications are scams, are there good uses for NFT using the broadest definition of NFT that works? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, the the main use case of NFTs is to remove fools from their money. That's the best use case. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you should have boosted. There you have it. Beautiful. Uh, so yeah, I have uh, one more. Um, thing here on my list and it's kind of about hash rate and it kind of ties into what you're talking about with uh the discussion of competition and all other shit coins are basically competing and uh you know vying for quite limited space and you'll notice a lot of the crypto people will use like market cap and 
priced in dollars for like why their shit coin is really taking off or exploding and, and, and price per coin and all of that kind of stuff. But when you look at hash rate, uh, pretty much everything is Bitcoin. And um, so kind of just explain like what really is going on here and the illusion of uh, these other these other like proof of stake, for instance, coins that really don't prove it's like proving you have money <laughs> or proving you have the the yeah, fun proof of stake is a scam it doesn't work in the first place it's such a stupid idea um i i wrote and spoke about this at length so i i i i, I don't think i will sure. <laughs> repeat everything i've said in the past um the, the the main idea is that you you need to have some link to the physical world and proof of work provides this link. And proof of stake removes this link to the physical world. So we're back to the fiat system where everything everything's made up and the points don't matter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so proof of stake is it's is it's it's both a scam and it's so idiotic that it's like I, I'm at a loss for words most of the most of the time when people seriously consider proof of stake as as a solution for anything. Like, you, for example, you cannot even solve the problem of issuance. You know, you print it out of thin air. Who should get the tokens? Proof of work takes care of fair issuance because it's like a perfect competition for like 140 years or something <laughs> to bring <laughs> the tokens into circulation. And proof of stake does not solve this problem at all. Proof of stake does not solve the problem of randomness. Proof of stake does not solve the problem of timing. Proof of stake does not solve the problem of, you know, building up an arrow of decentralized time in cyberspace, which is a fucking hard problem. It was one of the main problems that Bitcoin solved. I wrote about this at length in Bitcoin is Time. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll spare you the details, but proof Beautiful. of stake is, is even a bigger scam than NFTs. <laughs> I just saw we had uh, one question slide in on the Telegram. And I guess this has been, I don't know where I've been, like under a rock or um, uh, out at playgrounds with my children, really. <laughs> but I missed where this came from. Apparently there's like a big argument of is it bitcoin or bitcoins is it plural or singular <laughs> like, it's sets uh, the debate is settled it's sets sets one set one set many sets and bitcoin is the network you don't need plural you gotta have sets you better be streaming sets exactly beautiful well i'm glad that we uh have finally settled that <laughs> yeah. debate once and for all i'm not really sure <laughs> cleaned uh, it up in like 10 seconds where it came from yeah but all of a sudden like everybody is talking about this so I think Matt and Marty are to blame from Tales from the Crypt. Oh, Matt and Marty. That would be doing it. It's such a bearish uh, argument to have, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely in a bear market. Oh, no, I don't think so. Like, you know, Bitcoin has been in a bull market since inception, so. I agree, yeah. If you zoom out, then you'll notice. There you go. Uh, wow. And that's the wild thing about not caring about price that I've gone through is like, after all these years, you know, when you buy in, when it dips below 400, just on a whim, and then you've seen the cycle of fear, like, oh no, it hit 300, and then it was, oh no, it hit 3,000, and now it's like, oh, oh no, yeah, it's yeah. around 30,000, like... Yeah. Oh my god, we're at 30k, the oh, world is over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the meanwhile, you know, Wall Street is burning and everything's right. shit. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Bitcoin is at 30k. It's like, okay, well, then uh, stay safe with your Federal Reserve notes, I guess. Exactly. Well, Gigi, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with us this morning. It's been wonderful. Uh, the time just flies by, you know. Um, yeah, it was great. Thanks again for having me. It's it was evening for me, by the way. You know that's. Oh, that's right. Yeah, on the <laughs> yeah. other side of the world, you know, it's uh it's a nice yeah. evening for you, a good morning for us. So, there you go. 
we'll have to uh maybe we'll have to do a morning for you uh evening for us sometime or something i don't yeah, know we can do that <laughs> uh, uh, i appreciate that i appreciate all you bowlers hanging out and uh listening along whether you're listening live or uh listening later on in your favorite podcast app if you use a new podcast app you can boost uh for eternity and gg will get a little piece of that boost exactly. uh he gets a third nude, of, nude podcast apps, right? That's right. Nude <laughs> yeah. podcast apps. If you take off all your clothes and go to nudepodcastapps.com. That's how to do it. They'll hook you up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we are going to be back at it next Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Central, U.S. time, as always. Uh, Till then, I'll be Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. I'll be Dame DeLorean. And I'm Gigi. Bye-bye. Yes. May your bowls burn ever brighter, bowlers. Like that boost? Wait till you see what happens next. We all listen. I'm a supporter of human beings. beings. What? Beings? That guy's probably a dancer. Bowl after bowl.com.